0: Katie. And I'm Kate. And this is Desk, Many Conversations.
1: Katie and I are both fellows at the Stevenson Center at Illinois State University and master's students in political science.
0: Our podcast is an example of some of the conversations we engage in as fellows around community development topics. Today's topic is gentrification. gentrification. In case
1: you didn't quite get that, you may have heard about initiatives in your community like Project Main Street or revitalization. Katie, what are some words you've heard to describe projects that are essentially gentrification without saying that it's gentrification?
0: Yeah, so some other euphemisms I've heard are things like urban renewal or we're giving the neighborhood a fresh start or we're cleaning up the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, exactly. And really, we're not trying to demonize projects that are really working to improve communities in some way or stimulate economic development in communities that have the potential to have more economic development and provide better neighborhoods for people to live in. And I think that gets to cities motivation really for redevelopment. They don't have negative intentions when they're creating these projects. They're really doing it to generate revenue, to provide services for their residents.
0: Right. Absolutely. I think that the intent that cities have in some of these things like revitalization or economic development projects are uh, to help them generate that revenue that is much needed. And cities have to be creative about how they generate that revenue. And often the the most reliable sources of this revenue are through increase property taxes and increase sales taxes.
1: Yeah, and that really helps them provide those services that people rely on, right? Like so they can fix roads, so they can maintain their water quality or sewer system, so they mm-hmm. can, you know, handle garbage if it's a city garbage collection service. So those are all things that everybody needs in every neighborhood and when there's an area, a neighborhood a significant number of properties in an area that are underutilized or condemned or vacant it really hurts the city's ability to generate that revenue to provide quality services so it's important to say that we understand the need for cities to do redevelopment and do you want to just mention some of the other like good things that can come out of redevelopment projects
0: yeah absolutely i think that another way of taking an underutilized space and putting in restaurants or entertainment or you know the other things that are oftentimes associated with gentrification you know grocery stores high-end restaurants dog salons you know (laughs) the 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 sales taxes that are generated from those kinds of places it is a means of not directly taxing the people that live in an area right and i mean it does create more jobs in that neighborhood so like you're saying it's not a
1: revenue generated by sales tax um is different from that for property tax, because property tax in a neighborhood that seeing redevelopment might see their property taxes increase, but that sales tax is taxed to everyone, not just the people living in that area. And the nice thing about those new businesses is more jobs for the people in that neighborhood. And there's often projects around beautification and improving the aesthetics of a neighborhood that most people or all people want to live in an area that has green space, that is not filled with litter, right? But even just using that term beautification, making it beautiful, sends an underlying message that the community that was there before or the way it appeared before was bad or ugly or not innovative in some way. And we need this redevelopment, this revitalization to bring positive aspects to a neighborhood.
0: Right, absolutely. And that a lot of this, again, it comes with the intent that this is making a place better, but that often negates the negative repercussions of redevelopment in an area, especially redevelopment that's not being driven by the people who are living in that area. Oftentimes, we talk about these negative repercussions on housing. So you mentioned too, so property taxes rising, which means that there could be higher rents, which leads to perhaps increased evictions for people who can't pay their increased rents. And again, this is not necessarily an overnight process. This is more of a long-term process. But if at the end of your lease, your rent has risen by 300% because that's what the landlord needs to charge you in order to make their payments because of increased property taxes, well, then that means that we're displacing people from neighborhoods.
1: Yeah, that's right. And even when we think about the positive outcomes of redevelopment that lead to gentrification, it can be really positive for folks who are owning their homes in those areas initially, right? Uh, Increased property values, because there's been a vacant building that's been redeveloped in your neighborhood could mean that your property is more valuable than it was before. And that can be really positive for somebody who's lived in the community for 20 years or even just five years, right? But when those property values increase to a certain tipping point, then it's gonna increase property taxes so much that it might force those people to sell their homes as well that's similar to landlords, right? Um, If property taxes are going up so much or they see more value in selling a property that they own rather than keeping it and maintaining it as rental properties for their residents, then that can also encourage them to raise rent so much that people are forced out.
0: One thing that's often overlooked is then the impacts of the culture on the neighborhood. So even if you happen to be in a place, if you're a homeowner or you're in a place that is rent stabilized and you're not necessarily feeling the direct impacts of higher property taxes, more most likely people around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors are feeling these effects and are moving to more affordable areas. So that might mean, and, and typically we know that this is definitely racialized, like that this is oftentimes white people of privilege coming into areas that are mostly people of color.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I think going back to that isolation piece that you mentioned, where long-term residents who can stay for different reasons, but whose neighbors are all moving out, it reduces the social ties that that community had, right? If people who have lived in the neighborhood for 20 years who you've known for decades are moving out and new people are moving in who maybe have very different backgrounds or experiences than you, you're probably not going to be able to connect with them in the same way. And at least in the short term, those social ties in that area are going to be weaker. And oftentimes it also leads to a criminalization of the culture that existed before the outsiders moved in, right? Mm-hmm. So things like kids hanging out on the street, they could be ticketed for loitering when before this was completely acceptable to the neighborhood culture that was there or noise violations because you are gentrifying a neighborhood that really values community block parties or playing your music loudly. But then outsiders, again, coming in, don't have the same tolerance for those activities. And then it can lead to more criminalization and police activity in neighborhoods that had been largely populated by people of color.
0: Right, absolutely. And I think too, we, we reference this in our, in our resource section, but there's a TED talk that I really like by Stacey Sutton, um, called What We Don't Understand About Gentrification. And one thing that I really take away from that is ultimately, gentrification is a social justice issue. It's something where, yes, communities change and evolve, but Gentrification, when scholars use this term and how I think that we should be using this term, is this kind of spatial representation of inequality. It's people coming in with privilege and pushing people out under the guise of of redevelopment and bettering a community. But in reality, most often it's taking advantage of lower cost properties and capitalizing on our racial and economic inequality that we have within different communities.
1: Thinking about it as spatial representation of inequality, I mean, that harkens back to redlining and other policies that our society have specifically put in place to racialize space and racialize neighborhoods. And I think that shows that the process of gentrification is indeed a process and that it's not monolithic, right? Gentrification may look different in different places. So there may be more physical displacement where residents are physically removed from the area because of evictions or because they choose to physically leave that space. And in some communities, cultural displacement might be more pervasive, right, where they're feeling isolated, where the neighborhood activities are dramatically changing or are criminalized more than in other areas. So it is really important to recognize this not as, as you said earlier, a single event happening overnight, but a process that has a history and is going to continue into the future if we don't take steps to prevent it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think the other point too that we started off talking about is the intent is normally good when cities decide that they want to redevelop an area that's being underutilized or bring more jobs to an area or bring more housing to an area, whatever it might be. But true revitalization efforts come from within the community and are dictated by the community. It's not an outsider who comes in to decide what is best for a community. And that's the other theme that is like really prevalent within gentrification is this kind of outsider insider, that the insider is, um, needs to be updated. You know, that the insider, again, back to beautification is inherently bad or what was there before was not innovative. Um, and again, that comes from a place of privilege and perspective. So true revitalization within a community has to come from more of a ground up space, of course, with with help from other institutions like public and private dollars, but driven by a community approach.
1: Yeah. And one of the other resources we have in our episode description that you can check out is a great article that one of our fellow fellows from the Stevenson Center, Jalisa, shared with us in Shout our out to That's right. Uh, she shared it with our community development class last fall, and it talks about gentrification that's happening in a neighborhood in Cincinnati. That shows a really good example of how outsiders don't necessarily mean outsiders from outside the city. It's just maybe outsiders from outside that neighborhood. So right. the city, thinking that they're doing really great grassroots work to redevelop an area because they're using folks or companies from within the city. But when they don't have ties, they don't have an understanding of the specific neighborhood where that redevelopment is happening. It's still an outsider approach, even though they're all living in the same city.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. Along those lines, do you think it's time for our pop culture case study? It most definitely is. We will close out the episode with our famous recurring segment, pop culture case study. This is when we take something in pop culture and discover, wow, this is actually all about community and economic development. And today, we will be talking about one of my very favorite movies of all time, the iconic 1996 film Preacher's Wife.
1: Yeah, and just so our listeners are aware, I have never seen this movie. I had never heard of this movie, although it is true. I'm sure iconic, until Katie brought it to my attention. So I'm just going to be asking her clarifying points as she explains to us this movie and how it relates to gentrification.
0: Okay, beautiful. So, again, one of my favorite movies of all time. It stars Courtney B. Vance, Whitney Houston, Denzel Washington, and Jennifer Lewis. So it's iconic. Phenomenal cast. I mean, I can't believe I haven't seen this. I know. Right. And it is it is a Christmas movie, but at its core, it's a gentrification movie. So this is what <laughs> happens. This is what happens.
1: I mean, with a cast like this, why is it not on everybody's Christmas movie watch list? Like, why have I not heard of this movie before?
0: Absolutely. And this this soundtrack? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And so me, five year old me watching Preacher's <laughs> Wife on VHS I think this is truly what drove my desire to be in community and economic development.
1: So wait, you seriously watched this movie
0: when you were five years old? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a family friendly Christmas movie, <laughs> but here, let me give you the plot. Let me okay, give you the okay. synopsis. Okay. So Courtney B. Vance, he's a preacher. His wife, the preacher's wife, is Whitney Houston. And so her dad was a preacher in this church, in the same church that they live next to, St. Matt's. And it's right by their house, and they live there. And they kind of sense that their neighborhood around them is kind of kind of crumbling. There's a lot of people struggling in the neighborhood. Uh, you don't know exactly where it is, but it's definitely more of like an urban area. And so anyways, he's struggling. He's trying to figure out what to do. And then here comes Denzel Washington, who is obviously an angel so he comes down oh my gosh of course of course he's an angel so he comes down he's trying to help he's trying to help Courtney V Vance like find his roots and like not be so stressed out all the time because Courtney V Vance is just trying to save the neighborhood who is he trying to save the neighborhood from this dude named Joe I don't remember the actor who plays him but obviously he is trying to build (laughs) luxury apartments and tear down the church and the youth center and the senior center which is in oh my
1: gosh what a monster
0: insane right as this guy lives outside of town in his like huge luxury house but then you find out he's actually from this community and had gone to this church and he's just trying to bring it he's trying to like we said at the beginning of this episode clean up the neighborhood I know gross right and it he is he, such a
1: betrayal
0: it was such a betrayal. and then he tries to talk in the other people like the guy who drives the bus and the woman who's the secretary at the church he's trying to talk them into how great it'll be because he'll build some tennis courts for the seniors and then courtney v vance is like kind of tempted to do this but then he's like what our seniors don't need tennis courts why? The, why would they need no, tennis courts? Need affordable housing. Exactly. They need affordable housing, and they need areas where they can have jobs. And then there's also like this side story with this kid who gets accused for a crime that he didn't actually do. And so they're like, "No, we need we need safe spaces for our youth, and we need to like not kick everyone out because of these luxury apartments."
1: Okay, I have two really important questions. Okay. The first is a comment. Like, I love that they call the church St. Matt's. Like, they're just, like, down in friends with Matthew uh, from the Bible, right? Like, we're not going to call him Matthew. No, no. St. Matt's. Yeah, it's St. Matt's. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Two, the movie is called Preacher's Wife, and you've barely even talked about Whitney Houston. What the hell? Okay. And, wait jennifer lewis is also in this movie i want to
0: know what she does okay okay such good points because obviously it's called preacher's wife and it's solely about whitney houston but really it's not (laughs) but really it's not about whitney houston but for me it's solely about whitney houston because of the soundtrack which is incredible jennifer lewis plays her mother which is incredible and so basically oh and also like a little side note because Whitney is kind of fed up with Courtney B. Vance trying to take on the world's problems all the time she like kind of falls in love with Denzel Washington because and also his name is Dudley which I love so Dudley aka Denzel (laughs) and Whitney like they go out oh and I forgot about about the best part they go sing at a club called Jazzy's and also another thing that that probably will be torn down by this evil Joe and it's where Courtney B. Vance and Winnie Houston fell in love and they sang with and I can't remember what his name is he's like a famous he's a famous person um I I don't remember who it is but it's oh Lionel Richie no 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 that's not true that's not true Hold on. Let me put. Let me pull up a picture of Lionel Richie. Yeah. No, it is Lionel Richie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Well, sometimes. Sometimes I get him confused. <laughs> I do
1: know what I Lionel get, Richie looks
0: like. It's because I get Richita Jones and Nicole Richie's dads confused.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. That's insane. That that's how you think about. Them. <laughs> that's how I think about them. <laughs> So um, so I just want to go back to the fact that this is called Preacher's Wife, but it's not really about Whitney Houston, but Whitney Houston, I'm sure, just sings phenomenally in it. So they're like, she just steals the show with her beautiful voice. We're going to just like name this movie after her, even though the plot is really about something else completely. Yeah,
0: that's absolutely 100% what is happening in this movie. And also her dad was the initial preacher at St. Matt's.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's still kind of tangential to the plot. But... Yes, it is.
0: Yes, it very <laughs> much is.
1: Okay, but I also want to say that as at five years old, you're watching this family friendly movie yeah. where this woman who's married to a preacher, like, kind of falls in love with an angel, and then right. it's like, is she gonna cheat on him? No, she can't. Probably because it's she... a family friendly movie, but she was tempted. Oh, absolutely, it's really she was. Appropriate storyline for a
0: five year old. Yeah, it's called Real Life. Also, I haven't <laughs> mentioned. I haven't um, mentioned like that there are kids involved and like the whole thing is narrated by Whitney Houston and Courtney B. Vance's son, whose name is Jeremiah. And then he is in, he, his grandma is taking care of him, but she's getting really old. And so he has to go into foster care. His name is Hakeem and which is really sad. So they're all really sad about it. But then in the end, Courtney B. Vance and Whitney Houston adopt Hakeem.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, sounds very heartwarming.
0: Moral of the story, Precious Wife, incredible movie, everybody should watch it, no matter the time of year. And it is ultimately all about community and economic development.
1: Excellent. Just to wrap it up, we want to encourage all of our listeners to learn more about economic development efforts, aka neighborhood renewal, in your communities and talk with decision makers about all of the repercussions of gentrification and how your community can actually take steps to prevent it and also help develop your community economically. So thanks for listening to Many Desk, Many Conversations.
0: It's will be